You're listening to Lies and Half-Truths, tales written and performed by A.P. Weber. In this episode, we're continuing the adventures of Woodrow the Wicked with the conclusion of the fall of Riley Island. Before we get started, I'd like to let you know you can find a lot more of this sort of storytelling at apweber.com. That's A-P-W-E-B-E-R.com. In particular, my original webcomic, Green Man, The Roots of Time. It's dark historical fantasy. And as always, you can reach me at truthsandhalftruths at gmail.com. Let me know your recommendations for games, books, comics, podcasts, and all manner of media. Finally, if you're enjoying the show, please take the time to rate and review it wherever you get your podcasts. It helps a lot. Okay, let's get to the recap. Last time, Woodrow found himself in the wreckage and rubble of a Rileytown neighborhood, under siege from within by the impish Grimbles. With no sign of rescue, he's about to make for the city wall and hope that he can follow it to safety. But danger lurks everywhere. And now... Lies and Half-Truths presents The Moon Shadow, first book of the adventures of Woodrow the Wicked. Part Two, The Fall of Riley Island. Chapter 9 The city wall stretched out in either direction, not far from where Woodrow took shelter in the shadows. It stood tall, unmarred by the explosions. For hundreds of years it had protected Rileytown, and still it stood even as the city burned. From the top of the wall, Woodrow could get his bearings. He could follow it to the coast and to his home outside. He began mapping his path, searching out the darkest places for cover. If I'm seen, that's it. I'll be shot dead. Once he got to the foot of the wall, he could think about how to get up. Maybe he could just follow it to a turret and climb the stairs. He had just decided on the best route when the vile chorus of Grimble cries accosted his ears. They poured out of seemingly nowhere and everywhere. Woodrow went flat against the wall of the devastated house behind him, but the Grimbles didn't see him. They weren't interested in the destruction they had caused, but rather the buildings that remained standing. The sound of breaking glass and splintering wooden doors filled the air. Woodrow harbored no foolish fantasies about trying to rescue the other townspeople. The most sensible thing he could think to do was to run while the Grimbles were occupied. Bolting for the city wall was the only rational plan of action. So that's what he did. He hit the city wall in seconds. He ran with his fingers sliding along the stones, leaving behind the gleeful sounds of Grimbles doing unspeakable things. He came to an outcropping, a turret. He felt the handle of the door to the interior of the turret and found it to be unlocked. He pushed it open, went inside, closed the door behind him, and set the deadbolt. Everything was still, quiet. 
He took the stone steps, leaping up the tower two at a time. It was only when he came to the landing, the spot level with the allure at the top of the wall, that he thought to be cautious. The wall would have been a perfect place for a Grimble sharpshooter to set up. For all he knew, the beast was just outside, watching the town burn from a comfortable position on the allure of the wall. There were doors leading out onto the wall in either direction. Which door should he take? Would there be a Grimble with a rifle waiting on the other side? In the end, he chose the door in the direction he had been traveling, a direction that he thought was sloping downward toward the sea. He gripped the handle and pulled it open. Nothing. No Grimble. He stuck his head out and looked around. The cacophony from the street rose up to meet his ears, but he heard nothing from the wall. He stepped out, careful to stay low, and closed the door behind him. It wouldn't do to have one of the Grimbles get curious about an open door and follow him. He looked around. From this height, he could see the lay of Riley Town. Fires had sprung up in every quadrant. He heard a low boom, and another block burst into flames. The good news was that he had picked the right door. If he followed the path on the top of the wall, it would take him to the harbor. He set out along the wall, running with his head low. His path sloped down toward the sea. As he ran, the destruction spread in the city. It looked like wildflowers blossoming at an unbelievable rate and then collapsing into pillars of black smoke. He seemed to be outrunning the mayhem, though. His shoulder ached from where he'd landed on it during the explosion in the tunnel. He tried not to think about Tamberline and whether she'd been caught in the blast or not. Just keep going. Get to the moon shadow, he told himself. He would find his father, and his father would know what to do. But Raymond would be there too. Raymond! A cold, black hatred formed in his gut as he thought of Sir Raymond. New fantasies formed in his mind. He would accuse Raymond to his face. His father would kill him, shoot him dead where he stood. Then they would escape on the moonshadow together, leave this terrible place forever. He had never fit in here, anyway. He had no friends, not really. Why not just run and let it burn? The dark shapes of trees beyond the wall blurred as Woodrow ran by. Rising above the treetops, in the distance, he saw the moon shadow still docked in the strange octopus contraption. Perhaps his father had not gotten to it yet, or was just preparing to take off. He had to hurry. But first, he needed to find a way down and a way out of the city. Within the wall, the waterfront buildings burned and threw orange reflections on the dark swells in the harbor. Ahead, he saw something that made him halt and throw himself flat against the stone floor of the wall's allure. A squat little silhouette stood before a gap in the wall, where a mound of stone rubble spilled upon the ground below. Woodrow held his breath and watched the figure as it leveled what looked like a rifle. It aimed down into the city. Crack. For a split second, he saw the Grimble's features in the light of the muzzle flash. It grinned maliciously. Woodrow reasoned that the little monsters had blown a hole in the wall and posted this sharpshooter above the gap to murder anyone trying to flee the city. Their idea of a cruel prank. 
The sharpshooter cackled with glee, then lowered its rifle to reload. Now's your chance, Woodrow, thought the boy. He jumped to his feet. In three seconds, he had closed the distance between himself and the Grimble. Only then did the brute notice him. It swung around, wide-eyed with surprise. Woodrow slammed into the Grimble's chest, but his own feet slipped on the loose, gravelly debris, and he and the Grimble both tumbled over the edge of the breach. The Grimble struck the rubble first, his head snapping backward and smacking with a soft, wet sound against the broken stones. Woodrow landed on top of the monster and felt its ribcage crunch beneath his weight. They rolled down the slope of the rubble, locked together. When they stopped rolling, Woodrow lay in the debris for a moment, coughing. The exposed skin on his body was covered in scrapes and he ached everywhere. The Grimble's body laid in a crumpled heap, its dark blood splattered on the stone and pooling from beneath. With effort, Woodrow got up and knelt beside the dead creature. The body looked almost like a dead bug, all curled and twisted in all the wrong places. He wondered if there had been some other way. Could he have snuck past the Grimble without killing it? He shook his head and stood. He saw the rifle lying there a few feet away. He picked it up. It felt like holding an untamed animal, and he wasn't sure what to do with it. He put the weapon on his shoulder like a toy soldier and headed out through the breach into the woods. Deep shadows filled the spaces between the tree trunks, broken here and there by a dappling of moonlight. He knew the way home, even at night, but the thought that Grimbles could be lurking somewhere in the darkness compelled him to proceed with slow caution. He stopped. Something was there, not more than a few paces ahead. He lifted the rifle from his shoulder and pointed it into the darkness. Who's there? Tamberline stepped into a pool of broken moonlight. Her fur was matted and sooty, and her muzzle was stained with a thick, dark fluid. But she held her head at a proud height, and her eyes burned with a predator's fury. Woodrow sank to a knee in front of her and scratched her shaggy mane. You made it. She shrugged away and gazed into the darkness in the direction of Rileytown, licking her chops as if in anticipation of a meal. Woodrow couldn't see what she saw and decided it would be best not to find out. Let's go, he said and set off again. The great cat lingered a second longer and then bounded past him. At the same moment, the forest burst into sudden illumination, long shadows stretching out across the ground. Woodrow turned to see the blaze rising up among the distant trees. The autumn leaves caught in an instant, and flames spread in a line across the boughs, like a side-winding snake devouring all. Woodrow ran. Through the standing trees, he could see a clearing not far away. His yard. He stumbled out into the thick, unmowed grass and weeds. Plenty of fuel, he realized, for the oncoming blaze. After a few steps, he stood still. He saw his house. Next to it, the moon shadow floated in the uncanny grasp of that metallic octopus. The ship's bubbled glass reflected both silver moonlight and quivering firelight. Woodrow gripped the rifle tighter in his hands and took a few cautious steps toward the airship. Dad, he hissed breathlessly. 
He thought he could hear a sound coming from the deeper darkness beneath the moon shadow. He crept closer. Dad? Shh! It came from behind him. He spun around, but not fast enough. Raymond had a firm grip on his arm. Let me go! Woodrow shouted. Keep it down! Raymond cupped a hand over Woodrow's mouth. You'll draw them to our location. Woodrow jerked free from his grip, leaped back, and raised his rifle. Where's my father? Behind you, came his father's voice. Woodrow turned to see him emerging from the shadows below the airship, Tamberline fawning beside him. He held his side, his shirt red beneath his hand. I'm all right, Compton said, seeing his son's expression. Just a little scratch. Believe me, said Raymond. Your father sustained worse injuries during our little adventures out in the wide world. Raymond seemed to be in good spirits, as if all the flames and destruction around them were no more than fireworks in his honor. What do we do now? Woodrow asked his father with a wary glance at Raymond. Compton frowned. What are you doing here, son? I told you to stay in the castle. Woodrow cleared his throat. The Grimbles, he began, looking again at Raymond. They killed Lord Edgar. Someone let them in through a well in the cellar. Compton seemed stunned into silence. Woodrow watched Raymond's face. It didn't register any sadness at the news of Lord Edgar's death. I guess that makes me Lord of Riley Island said Raymond, with an off-handed carelessness. We'd better get moving, Compton said, matching Raymond's calm. Why don't you go to the top deck, my lord? I'll meet you up there after I disengage the docking mechanism. Raymond smiled at Compton's use of my lord. I'll start climbing then, he said cheerfully, and set off up the wooden steps. What really happened? Compton whispered to Woodrow. They killed him, Dad. Woodrow whispered back, his voice cracking. He tried, but he couldn't keep the tears from welling in his eyes. Miss Hannah did it, but they're all in on it. All the stones are in on it. Compton rubbed the back of his neck, studying the ground in front of him. Raymond's boots clopped against the wood steps above them. What do we do, Dad? Compton's voice was cold. I'm going to kill him. Then we're getting the hell off this island and were never coming back. He took the rifle from his son, pulled back the lever on the side, and looked skillfully into the chamber. It was an action that seemed well-practiced, but Woodrow had never seen his father with a gun before. He knew his father had traveled abroad, that he'd had adventures, faced dangers, had been a soldier in his youth, but never had he seen this side of him. Meet me in the cargo bay, said Compton. Tamberline and I will deal with that treacherous bastard. They climbed the stairs. At the first floor balcony, Compton nodded at Woodrow and continued on up. Woodrow eased open the balcony door and went into the cargo bay. The cargo bay was as he had left it, with piles of crates stacked against the bay door. A pair of glowing orbs appeared from behind some of the boxes. Hartford, Woodrow whispered. The golem lumbered over to him and stood still. Woodrow wondered if he should tell him to go help his father, but he didn't think it would do any good. He sighed and wandered over to the glass to look out. 
Just above the tree line and the flickering flames glowing among the trees, Woodrow could see Riley Town sloping up toward the castle. Black silhouettes of rooftops and towers illuminated in fire. Above it all, the broken moon peered down, its silver light turned red through a veil of smoke. Woodrow hugged himself and watched the city burn. He heard the crack of a firearm discharging. Then he heard it again. A figure fell past his view just outside the glass in front of him. It looked remarkably like his father, but it couldn't have been his father. That would mean his father had fallen from the top deck down to the ground beneath him. That would mean Raymond was still up there. The firearm sounded out again. No. Woodrow pressed against the glass, trying to see the ground. No. He couldn't see anything. A commotion echoed in from the stairwell. Heavy footfalls. The gun fired again, louder now. Raymond shouted. Get back here, you mongrel beast! More gunfire. He's coming. Woodrow tried once more to see his father on the ground. The footsteps grew louder until they were right outside the door. Tamberline came tearing in from the stairwell. Raymond followed, his revolver held out in front of him. Tamberline disappeared into the shadow somewhere. Raymond muscled up onto one of the crates in the center of the cargo bay, looking around for the great cat. His eyes fell on Woodrow. Huh, I'll deal with you later, he said, and squinted into the darkness. There you are. Woodrow took a step backward and bumped into the control panel he had chided Hartford over. Raymond cocked his revolver and aimed it. Woodrow reached behind him and felt around the panel's surface. He pushed a button. With a springy click, the cargo bay doors fell open. For a quarter of a second, Raymond hung in mid-air as his footing disappeared beneath him. Then he too disappeared. Stacks of crates toppled over after him. Woodrow stepped to the edge and looked down. Half the cargo had fallen out the bay doors, burying Lord Raymond in the process. He went back to the panel and lowered the ramp. Outside, he heard his father cough, but no noise came from the pile of cargo Raymond was buried under. Flames leapt and danced in the overgrown yard, closing in around the house and the moon shadow. Woodrow ran and fell to his knees at his father's side. Dad! His father's eyes rolled beneath fluttering lids. He coughed again. Dad? Woodrow. His lips were blanched and hardly moved. His voice sounded like it was being squeezed through a slit in a piece of paper. Dad, I'm here, Woodrow whispered, leaning down. Flee, his father managed. Take. The moon shadow. Protect. Find your. If. She. Woodrow waited for his father to finish. He waited and waited. The heat from the flames grew around him. His father just lay there. Something essential had changed about him. His chest had stopped heaving. Woodrow couldn't say when exactly, but one moment he was with his father, and the next moment his father had slipped away. Dad? His forehead fell to his father's chest. Dad. Tamberline came up and nosed Compton's cheek. 
she emitted a soft mew. Hartford stared out across the yard. The flames were closing in around them, a ring penning them in. Woodrow glanced around. There was nowhere to go but back into the moon shadow. He touched his father's lifeless body one last time, then stood up. They climbed the ramp. Woodrow went absently to the panel to retract the ramp and close the bay doors. The golem just kept walking through the cargo bay, up the stairs. He's headed to the cockpit, Woodrow realized. He and Tamberline followed after the golem. In the cockpit, Woodrow could see the yard through the glass and the great metal tentacles grasping the moon shadow. He turned to Hartford. What now? There was a pilot's seat at the front of the cockpit and another seat at the back of the cockpit. That one, much larger and made of uncomfortable-looking metal. Hartford went to the metal seat and stood in front of it. Oh, I see. That's your chair, Woodrow realized. Hartford turned around, placed his great palms on the armrests, and eased himself into the seat. The moment Hartford leaned back into the chair, the walls lit up around him in veins of white light, reaching out and spreading through the ship. Woodrow felt the ship rumble. The tentacles outside the glass slipped away. He felt the ship rise. The light went out. Then, nothing. They were just drifting on the breeze. Woodrow went to the glass and gazed out. The island already looked far away, glowing red and billowing black. At least we're safe, he said. And they would remain safe, for several days at least, as the wind pushed the moon shadow northwest, towards the jaws of the north, where Woodrow would find himself trapped between the granite mountain walls and the gray sea and the very heavens above. Chapter 10 Woodrow told most of the story of the fall of Riley Island, hunched over, propped up, on arms folded upon the table in the silent room. His gaze held fast on a point in the distance beyond the time and space the pair currently occupied. But Cassandra's eyes watched him intently, right up until the tale's end. At that point, she pressed her face into her palms for a long moment, taking in several deep, saw-toothed breaths. When she looked up at him, her cheeks were stained with tears. She said, I'm so sorry. She reached for his hand, but he suddenly found the need to scratch the back of his neck and turned away. He cleared his throat as if preparing for some weighty oration, but said nothing. Neither of the youths spoke for a long moment, though they kept glancing at each other, as if contemplating what sort of conversation they could be having. The awkwardness broke decisively when Cassandra stood and charged toward the door. Where's that lazy guildsman with our drinks? She said. It's been ages. She threw open the door. Hey, what's the holdup? She shot Woodrow an incredulous look. I don't think he's even left yet. A uh, Cass? Woodrow called after her as Cassandra stepped out of the silent room. Maybe we should get our own drinks, 
Yes, came the man's voice some distance from the door. Maybe you should get your own drinks. Here, take your money. Cassandra's voice changed to that cool business tone she sometimes affected. My apologies. I'm just now realizing that I didn't properly introduce myself. My name is Cassandra, daughter and heir to Roland of Clan Rocco. Would you please be so kind as to go out and get us some Kronganet milk? Cassandra returned to the door. Are you hungry, Woodrow? Should we have him get us some noodles or something? Uh, Woodrow said noncommittally. And some noodles, Cassandra added. Whatever's good around here, thank you. With that, she came back inside the silent room and pulled the door closed behind her. It wasn't your fault, she said, in the same businessy tone she had used on the guild man. Woodrow searched her, confused. What? What happened to your home? To your father? None of it was your fault. You know that, right? He rubbed the back of his neck, chewed the inside of his cheek. You do know that, right? Cassandra reiterated. No, Woodrow whispered. It was all my fault. There's more to the story, Cassandra. If you're going to travel with me, you need to know the whole truth. In a hushed tone, as if reciting some hallowed text, Woodrow then told Cassandra what happened after he escaped Riley Island, about the Jaws of the North, how he met the Angel, and about the Grimble Prince. Thanks for listening to Lies and Half-Truths. This episode was written and performed by A.P. Weber and produced by Meg Weber. Our theme was provided by Josiah Martins, original music by Mackenzie Stubbard. As always, consider liking, sharing, or reviewing this podcast wherever you listen to it. You can also support me, A.P. Weber, on Patreon. In any case, please join us again next time for more Lies and Half-Truths.